Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And we're back for another week of screaming from the sidelines. I really love that intro music, by the way. Our sound team that Believe did a fantastic job pulling that one off. Welcome to Screaming from the Sidelines, your favorite podcast for bets, hoops, and all the radical fan behavior that makes you crazy. I am Greg Silver, as always, and we got a lot of good stuff to get to. Let's start by talking about the fact that there's a good rivalry week in the NBA, a lot of really enticing matchups, plenty more tonight. I am recording this on Wednesday. I should have this up before Wednesday night. Uh, We got another segment that we're bringing back. It's the five questions talking about the Atlantic division, which to me has become the most interesting division in the entire NBA. So it's going to be great to break down those five teams. Two different categories, really. We got the East contenders and hopefuls, including one of the best turnaround stories we've seen all year. Then we got a couple teams where it's like, what's your end game? What direction are we going here? Are we going to learn more at the trade deadline kind of teams? To top it off, we are going to do a new type of power rankings on the weirdest NBA teams, which uh, was requested by one of my favorite listeners. So I will make sure to throw that in at the end. If you can make it all the way to that point in the episode. Before I get to any of that, I want to do a little bit of recapping on some older and more recent subjects from Screaming from the Sidelines because there's actually a lot going on with the WNBA offseason. The Atlanta Dream got Alicia Gray, the Dallas Wings are getting a couple of draft picks, including this year's number three overall pick. The Connecticut Sun, uh, runners-up of last year, have traded their former MVP, Jonquil Jones, to the New York Liberty which is going to make New York a real contender next season. They were up and coming with their big star, Sabrina Ionescu, and others. Two-time WNBA champion, Dierica Hamby, is headed from Las Vegas to Los Angeles, along with a uh, 2024 first-round pick in exchange for Amanda Zowie B and a 2024 second-round pick. I'm super excited for that season to get going again. I mean, that's where we started on Screaming from the Sidelines back in August, September, and I had a great experience learning so much in a short amount of time on that league. So really looking forward to getting back into that. But for now, let's transition it over to the subject of last week, which was the Pac-12. After we had J.B. Long on the show last week, I thought we'd recap the Pac-12's top five in the standings because it was quite an eventful weekend So JB headed over to Utah where he said that the Utes had some pressure to sweep the Washington schools and they did just that. They're now 7-3 in conference play. The number 6 ranked Arizona Wildcats had a huge weekend sweeping the LA schools at home and they're now back to 3rd in the standings. Most notably handing UCLA its first conference loss of the season and snapping their 14 game win streak. Now, their rival, Arizona State, had a less fortunate weekend at home. They lost to both of the L.A. schools, but still at 6-3. And and USC split with the Arizona, so they're 6-3 as well. Three teams with the same record. 
UCLA still remains at the top of the conference, but as I said, their large win streak was snapped at the McHale Center in Tucson, and they'll look to get back on track against their rival this week. So NCAA basketball starting to heat up a little bit. We're about six weeks out, maybe five weeks out from really starting to pay attention to that and all the excitement that is March Madness. Okay, let's go to the Atlantic Division in the NBA. Like I said, I think it's the most fascinating division. I know that divisions in the NBA don't matter in quite the same way that they do in football, but it is a nice way to categorize teams and just focus on five at a time. Eastern Conference, and we're going to start with a team from Toronto, Canada. The Raptors have been a really interesting team to follow, and I will admit that they're one of the teams that can slip through the cracks for me. Like, different time zone, not a ton of nationally televised games. They don't have the big-name superstars that other Eastern Conference powerhouses have. But nonetheless, they were a playoff team last year, and they deserve respect this year, however, they're just 21 and 27, and I had a great exchange with my good friend Hayden, a devoted Raptors fan who's got a great grasp on the team. He's very fair about them. He's a devoted listener on the show, and I was trying to pick his brain of what it's been like following the journey that is not just this season, but really the last three. And they're a confusing group because last year they had a successful season, even with their injuries. Then they added Otto Porter Jr., who's now done for the season. But something is not working. And he talked about this kind of positionless basketball that they've been okay with playing since the COVID season. And their best showing in that stretch was a first-round exit in the playoffs last year. One clear issue that makes a lot of sense for any struggling team in the modern NBA is shooting. They are 28th in three-point percentage and 27th in three-points made per game. They're fourth in offensive rebounds, but they're last in defensive rebounds, and they don't have a real center outside of the rookie, Christian Coloco. So having a bunch of 6'8 guys roll out there is not helping them on the rebound front. It's not exactly a free agent destination either. I mean, Kawhi Leonard didn't even want to be there, although he did deliver the ultimate prize of the Raptors' first ever championship. Not a hot spot for free agency, but there's still talent on the roster. I mean, on paper, Fred Van Vliet, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., and Pascal Siakam, that's a pretty nice young core to build around with the oldest player being Fred Van Vliet, who I believe is 29. Uh, still, they're finding themselves on the losing end of a lot of games and not exactly sure as to where they're headed come the second half of the season and even next season. So Gary Trent Jr. is interesting because he's 24. He's very talented. He can shoot the ball, which is something they lack but he also might be a valuable trade piece if he seems unlikely to re-sign in Toronto after this year. So I gave my whole spiel on the Raptors, and now it's time to get to the question, which is how much longer do you give this group before you decide to tear it down and just rebuild around Scotty Barnes or Scotty Barnes and Siakam? The direction of a trade for 
a center like Miles Turner, for example, could be a move that gets you competitive now. And Miles Turner's been in trade talks for years now. Uh, will he stay in Indiana, who's finally become an interesting and relevant team in the East? We will see. So you could go in that direction if you're Toronto and try to just rely around your young core and get rid of a couple guys. Or do you just trade one guy, maybe like a Fred Van Vliet, who's on the older end of this group, and see what you can make out of the next year. Or you could just tear it down right now and try to trade all your other pieces besides Siakam and Scotty Barnes. But decisions need to be made soon for this group because what they're doing is not a brand of losing basketball, I would say, but it's not exactly a brand of winning basketball and even devoted fans like Hayden are not super optimistic that they can make a playoff run even if they do get in. I mean, they have the potential to steal a couple of games from a Boston, a Philly, or a Brooklyn, but I don't know if they're really built to win a series. You got to beat these stars four times out of seven. That's asking a lot. That's my question on Toronto. And lastly, I just want to say thank you to Hayden. Always love catching up. And nobody appreciates my Kawhi Leonard laugh like you do. Let's go to the other team that is a little bit of an enigma. And, like, they're so weird that it's become not weird because it is the mess of the New York Knicks. Uh, Last week, they had three losses to teams, twice to Toronto, once to Washington, who are more than five games below 500. They also let the Hawks shoot 56% and their loss to Atlanta, so their defense is atrocious. This week's schedule is Cavs, Celtics, and at Nets. Oh, uh, uh, on the road at Boston as well. Uh, they did get a win over the Cavs last night, which was nice. They got a two-pointer, held on at the end. But then they got two road games against two of the top teams in the East. I suppose I will start with the positives. Uh, This is more just an interesting stat. The Knicks are one of two teams, along with the Clippers, to have just one rest advantage game this year. So the schedule's not treating them super friendly, but they're still making do with what they have. Uh, Mitchell Robinson has also been a game changer with their defense. When he's out there, the Knicks are allowing about 30 fewer points per 100 possessions. But let's go to the not-so-positives, because their defense without Robinson has been utterly atrocious. Uh, 21 of their remaining 34 games and uh, 14 of their next 18 are against teams with winning records. They are 5-13 and 13 in such games this year. In fact, let's tick it up to 6-13, and 13 because I did a lot of my notes during games yesterday, unsure of the outcome. They are 3-7 and seven against top five teams in the East, so that doesn't really bode well if they are able to make it into a playoff series. And overall, they're just kind of in a complete no-man's land. Like, they're not a bad team, but they're not going to make any noise in the East either. And Aaron Tobin Hess was on the show a couple weeks back, had a lot to say about them, most of which was negative. And I can understand the frustration of not going out and getting a game changer like Donovan Mitchell in the offseason because Jalen Brunson deserves a lot of love. He's been really, really solid for this Knicks team. I mean, he's so good at being really good, but as much as I love Jalen Brunson, 
he's not carrying you to an NBA Finals. You're not going to get past Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Jason Tatum on your own if you're Jalen Brunson. So my question for the Knicks, and a lot of them have probably been throwing their hands up in the air asking the same thing, is what's your end game here? Because, like I said, you're in a no-man's land. You're not bad, but nobody believes you can make it past the first round of the playoffs and definitely not past the second round when you stack this team up against other stars. They are wildly inconsistent and streaky. Is Tom Thibodeau going to be the coach? I mean, he has been notorious for burning his players out and playing them a lot of minutes, but as Aaron mentioned when he was a guest on the show, he's actually going to give him a pass on that one because of how many young players they have out there. Sometimes they look like for real, other times they look absolutely atrocious, and they have a really tough schedule this week. If they can win one of the next two at Boston and at Brooklyn, that is one fantastic week for New York, but... I'm not really sure what the end game is here. Will they use Derrick Rose as a trade piece come the trade deadline? I mean, we're going to find out a lot of this, but I am super confused by this team. It's almost so weird that it's not weird. I guess that's a good foreshadowing into the later segment of this show. But we have three other teams in this division, which you can be plenty optimistic about. And I will start with the Philadelphia 76ers. On paper, they have the easiest schedule in the NBA this week. And it's not really easy teams. It's more just that it's two games. They got Brooklyn and Denver. But their offensive ranking is 7th. Their defensive ranking is 4th. They went 5-0 and on their road trip, which included a huge comeback against the Kings without Harden and Embiid in their final game of the road trip. By the way, without those two players in the lineup, they're 4-2. and So... That's kind of alluding to this deep rotation that Kate Scott discussed on Screaming from the Sidelines last month. By the way, go and listen to that if you haven't yet, because if you like basketball, I mean, that's just killer insight into a team that has gone through a ton of changes. And uh, Kate Scott, I could probably waste a whole episode on complimenting her, but just unbelievably smart and was great with her time. So uh, totally recommend that episode if you haven't checked it out. The 76ers, uh, so there's only one team that ranks top five in offensive and defensive rating, which is the Celtics, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but the Sixers are really close to being the second team in that category. They've won 18 of their last 22 games. Joel Embiid is now the league's leading scorer. He's pretty much neck and neck with Luka Doncic, and he's one of six players on the 76ers with a true shooting percentage above the league average. So the question I'm going to pose for the Philadelphia 76ers is, are they the biggest threat to the Boston Celtics? And why do I say that? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, they have better depth than the Nets or the Cavaliers. Number two, they have managed their health issues much better than Milwaukee has. Uh, Number three, they do have that MVP caliber game changer like other teams in the Eastern Conference do. And number four, all their guys, because of these injuries, have racked up valuable minutes. So going back to this long, great stretch that the Golden State Warriors have had, they were often praised for playing so many different players and lineup variations in the regular season 
so that when the playoffs came, guys were ready because their minutes just really depended on the series and matchups and every team you faced was going to be different. So if we're going to take that same logic and apply it to Philly, this is a team that you would think on paper is built to go deep in the playoffs, especially with the way they have figured out their defense, with the way that they have had to shift their roles a lot of different players. And I'm not going to go into the whole rabbit hole of, well, Doc Rivers has a history of choking. I mean, dudes won a championship, okay? Like, he was... They had the highest odds to get fired after opening night by a coach. And I'm not saying Doc Rivers is perfect, but you would be flat out ridiculous to not believe he's doing a good job with what he has. I know there was a lot of talent on this roster. Coaching in the NBA does matter, which is a perfect transition into my next team which is the top team in the league, the Boston Celtics. I was very skeptical on this group heading into the year because they had such a last-minute coaching change and absolute hats off to Joe Mazzulla. 34 for how he transitioned. I mean, I'm just so happy for the guy in all these small coaching roles. He was on the Celtics staff for a while. They picked somebody they trusted who had coaching experience, but not a lot of big opportunities. And man, has he made the most of it. Unbelievable job by Joe Mazzulla. The Boston Celtics, first in net rating. So what that is, is just point differential per 100 possessions. Uh, They had a big win last week in a finals rematch against the Warriors last Thursday. And yeah, a lot of people, especially the ones I follow on Twitter, being a very close follower of Golden State, Yeah, it's true the Warriors let them hang around a little bit, but the Celtics capitalized when they needed to, and I need to give credit where credit is due. It's not just about the Warriors not finishing. The Celtics' defense has been stellar. Uh, They held the Warriors and Raptors to 36 total points over 50 possessions in the fourth quarter over a stretch last week. And remember, as good as this team was in the second half of last year, They struggled in the clutch. They're not having quite the same issues this year. Little bit more experience. Gone through the gauntlet of the playoffs. But did not get your hands on the ultimate prize. Little more maturity. Uh, They have handled adversity very well. Which is something you couldn't necessarily say before. I mean, outside of a rocky start to the first half of last season. They had some real adversity not long before the season even began. And Al Horford plus Robert Williams make for one hell of a defensive duo. I spoke about Robert Williams before the season and how big of a difference maker he can be when he's healthy. Those two, when they're out there together, are allowing just over a point per possession when they're on the floor together. And at one point, it was actually below that. Uh, Speaking of duos, Jason Tatum... Uh, with Jalen Brown, they have ascended into one of the best offensive duos in the entire league. Like I said, they've handled the diversity well as a team, and right now they're the best team in the league. They should be the team to beat in the East come playoff time, barring any injuries. So what's going to be my question when talking about the Boston Celtics? I thought about it a lot because there was a few I could have done, but I ultimately settled on this. 
is the health of Robert Williams the most important variable for winning a title? And I'm not considering every hypothetical like, oh, the health of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. Like, no, Robert Williams has a history of injuries and he missed the first two months of the season. He's been battling them throughout his young career. But when he's out there healthy, it's a real problem. His length, his lateral movement, and shot blocking instincts are phenomenal. And the reason I am posing this question instead of others, the Celtics, as good as they have been this season, have been explosive on offense. But it's not quite the same defense we saw last year. So, if Robert Williams makes them a problem on the other end of the floor, I see it very difficult for teams to get past Boston four times out of seven. This could be the ultimate factor in whether the Celtics are able to go from runners-up to champions. Robert Williams just tweaked his knee again, so I'm not sure how that's going to affect him. But if you can get a steady 25 minutes per game from the big man, good luck getting past this team in the playoffs. He is a phenomenal young talent. Gave me so much anxiety in the finals last year because it felt like he averaged three to four blocks a game and all of them were just vicious. Okay, last team in the Atlantic division is the Brooklyn Nets. So the Raptors and Knicks were not so optimistic on. The 76ers and Celtics were quite optimistic. The Nets are much closer to the optimistic side, especially when you account for how their season started and how it's going now. They lost their first four games after Kevin Durant's knee injury, but they've won two since then. They are tied with the Grizzlies with five wins when trailing by 15 plus points. So they're finding ways to dig out of holes. It helps when you have two incredibly talented scorers. Kevin Durant is going to be reevaluated in two weeks. I really just, I'll get to the question right now, which is Nas Reed, why not? There have been reports that the Nets are interested in former LSU big man and now Minnesota Timberwolves player Nas Reed. Why not go get him? They could use the backup big man. And let's look at some of the competition in the East. Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Robert Williams, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez, just to name a few. So yeah, you're going to need some size. And if anything, just take a little weight off the shoulders of KD and Kyrie. You have Kevin Durant, who wanted out this summer, remember? Why not do everything you can to try to win and win now? If you're the Brooklyn Nets, you went from the biggest dumpster fire in the NBA to one of the most impressive turnaround stories. The season was lost 10 games in, and now I'm sitting here talking about the optimism of the Nets. Capitalize before February 9th rolls around and go get Nas Reed. I think Minnesota can afford to lose a big man when you consider their offseason moves. I think it's a great fit. He doesn't have to be a difference maker or a takeover kind of guy. But he could be an extra factor that really comes in handy come playoff time. Why do you think the 76ers went and got P.J. Tucker? Why do you think the Bulls, I mean, sorry, the Bucks have 
been able to keep a lot of their core bench players over the stretch of being a championship caliber team. If you're the Brooklyn Nets, you got the chance to have one of the ultimate turnarounds in recent memory of basketball. Go make it happen. So that is going to wrap up our five questions in the Atlantic division. We have the Raptors, the Knicks, the 76ers, Celtics, and Nets. And I'm just going to cap this off with a couple more short segments. First, it is a Wednesday and we got a lot of rivalry games. Uh, I'll be fully transparent. I haven't looked a ton at injury reports today because there's been a lot going on this week around the league. But I do want to look at some of the Wednesday slate and see if any games stick out. Ben Simmons is once again returning to Philly. We got the Nets at the Sixers. And right now, Philly is favored by about five and a half. Uh, Last time the Nets went into this building, Ben Simmons actually played really well, but the Nets as a team looked awful. Philly is going to be healthier. Joel Embiid and James Harden got extra rest. I like the five and a half here. I don't know if I would go much higher than that. Six and a half is kind of pushing it for me, but I think that's a strong play for a home favorite. Um... Let's see, Denver is 10.5 point underdogs at Milwaukee, so they must not have Jokic playing, and maybe other people as well. Hawks at Thunder. Thunder are 1.5 point underdogs, and I love the Thunder against the spread in a lot of games. I think the Hawks are wildly unpredictable. They're coming off a loss at Chicago. So, yeah, maybe they'll show up. They got a lot of their preferred starters out there, but... If you're making me put money on the situation, I would take over 238 points because neither one is really playing much defense. And I would probably take the Thunder to win a shootout. And then we've got a couple of good ones. We have Raptors at Kings. Kings are three and a half point favorites. Over-unders also 238 again. The Kings, they're not going to shoot the ball the way they did. But three and a half points is enough to overcome. I mean, the Raptors' defense is solid, but the Kings are finding ways to score. The Kings don't play great defense either, but the way the Raptors have a lack of shooting, I think it makes it hard in the blueprint of a shootout. So I really, really like the Sacramento pick here at three and a half. I'll also be tweeting these out because it might be tough for you guys to get through this full episode. By the time these games are played and bets are eligible... And then lastly, we have Memphis at Golden State, which is kind of deemed a newer rivalry. I actually really like the underdog play in this one. The Warriors are awfully strange right now. I do think they have a great capability to regain focus when they're on their home floor. But I just see this as being a classic and a one-possession game. The Grizzlies got embarrassed by the dubs on Christmas when Steph Curry wasn't even playing. There were about seven technicals issued in that game, so you know there's going to be some fire. I'll take the Grizzlies to cover at three and a half because we might have a one-possession game down-to-the-wire type of contest on our hands. So that's pretty much going to do it with all the bets I think worth mentioning. And upon request, I will cap things off with the weird power rankings in the NBA. Not going to provide a lot of context here, That is for you to debate with me, but here we go, counting down from five to one. 
Number five, the Golden State Warriors. Not quite sure everything that's going on there. Number four, the Phoenix Suns. They're either great or they stink. Number three, a team we focused on in this episode, the Toronto Raptors. And then our last two actually faced off in their last game. Number two would be the Chicago Bulls. And number one is the Atlanta Hawks. Let me know your thoughts on this. These teams, to me, make no sense. Awfully strange and inconsistent. And teams like the 76ers and Nets, who were really weird to start the season, have become a little bit settled down. So that's going to round things out on Screaming from the Sidelines today. We had our five questions brought back. We got a lot of great games, some good rivalry matchups. Things are happening in the WNBA. And we have lots and lots of content coming your way soon. So as always, please do not forget to leave a rating. You can go subscribe, share it with your fan, fanatic, crazy, basketball-loving friends. And, uh, you know, go give me the follow on Twitter at Greg O. Silver, G-R-E-G-O-H-S-I-L-V-E-R, where I tweet out a lot of bets a few times a week and all of my favorite plays as well as other content here on Believe. I believe, you believe, we believe that we will be back soon. So, as always... Sit tight and keep screaming. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.